great to be back again. It's always good to be here and to uh, worship and share God's grace together and see what God's doing here. And for my brother and friend, Chris, uh, it's amazing. And I'm thankful. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for this time. Give us clarity as we think about your word and truth. Help us to be teachable. Help us to understand. Help us to think clearly. To focus our hearts and minds to love you with all of our beings. Uh, and to love each other. So we commit our time and our words to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I want to for today and next week to focus on something that all of us are engaged in every single moment of every single day, but we don't often realize it or think about it, and that is the life of faith. We walk by faith, Paul says, and not by sight. Is that only true for ministers and missionaries? They really have to walk by faith, don't they? Because they don't know where their next check is going to come from even. They have to really trust God and really walk by faith. But, but I work at TVA. My check is there every month. I know how much it'll be. I don't have to trust God and walk by faith the way a missionary does. Isn't that how we think often? Or we don't even think about that many times. We are creatures created by God, which means, among other things, we are dependent beings. We are not independent beings. Only God is independent. We are dependent beings, which means we are, at every single moment, trusting something or someone for every breath. I encourage you and challenge you to give that some serious thought in your life every day. We walk by faith literally every moment, not just when we're in church, not just when we're studying the Bible, but all the time, every moment we walk by faith and not by sight. In Hebrews chapter 11, we read this, Without faith it is impossible to please him, please God, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. We have to believe, first of all, that he is, that he exists, that he is the God of the universe. We've been worshiping the great, almighty God, creator God of the universe, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him, which is us. Hopefully, we are those who seek him. But the reality is that faith for us many times is a struggle. We struggle with truth. We struggle with God, with God's goodness, with God's silence in our lives sometimes, with the pains of life, with the success of the unrighteous. Does that ever trouble you? Excuse me. Struggling with injustice, unfairness in the world, with uncertainty. We have all of these things that we don't always and many times understand who God is, what God is about in these things. Why? I want to talk about and give us some reasons why I think we have this struggle. I want to suggest two today, and then we'll talk about two more next week. 
Why do we struggle so much with faith and with God in the struggle? The first thing I want to say is, often what God says or what God does is contrary to human reason, human logic, human experience, and human possibilities. What God says and what God does is often contrary to human reason, human logic, human experience, and human possibilities. The Bible gives us numerous examples of this. I want to mention just a couple. Abraham and Sarah. Remember them? The angel comes to Abraham in Genesis chapter 17, and he says, you're going to have a son. At this time next year, you're going to have a son. Abraham's reaction, remember what it was? He laughed. And it wasn't the laughter of happiness and joy. Wow, that's fantastic. He said, are you kidding me? To use modern language phrase, are you kidding me? I'm 100 years old. God says, you're going to have a son. The next chapter, Genesis 18, angel comes and talks to Sarah, his wife. Says to her, you're going to have a son. Her reaction is the same as Abraham's, right? She laughs. That's impossible. I'm 90 years old. My womb is dead. I can't do this. It's impossible. It can't happen. The angel said, it's going to happen. You're going to have a son. And of course, she did. Remember a guy named Gideon? In the book of Judges, chapters 6 through 8, Gideon, God called him to lead the Israelites against the Midianites who were oppressing them. And God sends the angel of the Lord to Gideon and says, you're the man, you're going to lead them out. And of course they go through some fleece and all of that. But finally he says, okay, let's get an army together. That makes sense. If we're going to fight someone, we need an army. So he says, get an army. So he calls him from the tribes, bring people. Come on, just get an army. 32,000 show up. That's a pretty good sized army. God says, no, that's too many. Well, that's way too many. He says, tell the ones that are afraid that don't really want to be here, tell them they can go home. So 22,000 left. That left him with 10,000 against a much larger army. And God says, you still have, that's way too many. I'm sure Gideon right now is beginning to wonder, wouldn't you? God says, that's too many. Now I want you to give him a test. And Gideon thought, as I would, as you would. Well, that makes sense. Let's see what they can do. Let's see how they can fight. Let's see how they can shoot bows and arrows. Let's see how they can throw rocks. Let's see how good they are. Let's get them together, run some, run some obstacle courses and do some training and testing and see who's qualified for this job. God says, I want you to take them down to the river and watch how they drink water. 
that's the test. Are you kidding me? Again, that's the test. He ends up with, remember how many? 300. 300. God says, that's your army. I'm going to deliver you with 300 guys. And I'm fascinated by something that happens after that. Because if you were one of those, think about this for a second. You're one of those 300. <laughs> you're having second thoughts right now about Gideon, right? His sanity, maybe. He says he talked to God. Really? Crazy people say that. What's going on here? This, this can't be real. He can't expect us to go fight this army. And so God says to Gideon, now I know you might be afraid, so go down there tonight and spy around a little in the camp of the Midianites. Remember that? And he does. And what does he hear? He hears them. They're scared out of their wits. Some great army is going to come and destroy them. God's prepared the whole thing. He has a way of doing that, doesn't he? Even though something that we're asked to do or to believe makes no sense to us. That violates every canon of law and army building you could ever read about anywhere in the world. As does, of course, another story in Joshua about a place called Jericho. Remember that one? God says, march around the city once a day for six days. And on the seventh day, march around the city seven times and then yell like crazy. This borders on insanity from a human perspective. This makes no sense to us. God says things, does things that we can't figure out. In the New Testament, Romans chapter 6, verse 11, Paul says, Even so, reckon yourselves, this is verse 11, Even so, reckon yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Did you hear that? Reckon yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Do you know that that's true about you today as a believer in Jesus Christ? You are to reckon yourselves, we're to reckon ourselves to be dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. I was speaking on this at a retreat a number of years ago. A man raised his hand and he says, that can't be true. And I said, really? Why not? And he gave the answer many of us do. He said, because that's not how I live. That's not my experience 
that I'm dead to sin and alive to God. God's not really interested in how you happen to feel right now. He is, don't get me wrong, he cares. Don't judge the truth of God's word by your experience. God's never going to do that. He's going to judge and change us using the truth of his word, never the other way around. He's never going to adapt his truth to fit you, to fit our feelings, to fit our experience, to fit our... Never, ever. He's going to change us until we're more like what he says is true. And he says to us, you are dead to sin and alive to God. He said, believe that. Believe that. Trust me. That's true about you because of what I've done through Christ. So sometimes I'm suggesting we struggle with God, God's Word, because it seems so contrary to our understanding seems so contrary to what's logical to us, what's reasonable to us, what makes sense to us, or to our experience, how we happen to feel today, or to what is humanly possible. Remember, with God all things are possible. It may be impossible to you, but with God it's not impossible. And that brings me to my second point. Many times I think we struggle with God's truth, with God, because of the object of our faith. Now, faith is something you have faith in, right? You have an object of your faith. And I would suggest to you, and it's true, been true in my life in many, in many cases, that the object of our faith, namely God, or it should be God, remember Hebrews 11, must believe that he is, so faith is in God, we say, but what kind of God do we have faith in? And I'm going to suggest that many times the God of our faith is not big enough. He's not the almighty God of the Bible. Too often in our lives. And I'm not just talking now about our doctrine, what we would say we believe. I'm talking about the God who's in your life that you relate to every day. Is he the God of Scripture? Because many times what we do is we create God in our image rather than the other way around. We're created in his image, but many times in the way we live, the way we think, we create him to make him more like us. But that's a problem, right? Because how are we? What are we like? We can be deceitful. We can be unreliable. We can be inconsistent. We can be unfaithful. We can be less than good. And it's easy for us to treat and act towards God as though he is like that. A God like that is not worthy of trust. We need to reorient ourselves constantly around 
the God of Scripture. What does the Bible say he is like? And camp there, live there, immerse yourself in who God really is. In Genesis chapter 3, the first temptation. It's interesting to me how Satan comes to Adam and Eve. He does not come to them in his true nature. He does not come to them and say, I'm Satan. I'm rebelling against God. I hate you. I hate all of your descendants. And I want to destroy you forever in hell. Satan never comes like that. If he came to them like that, I don't know that they would have eaten the fruit. He came with a question. That's all, just, just a question. <laughs> I, just, I just want to check something. I, I want some information. That's all, that's all. I just want information. Did God really say, just, just clarify now for me, did God really say that you can't have something here in the garden? Surely, surely he didn't say that, really, because, you know, he's good, right? You, you believe that he's good, and a good God would be generous, right? A good God would, would, be, would give you everything that he has. He wouldn't hold out on you, surely not. So I'm just checking. Probably the most awful, certainly the first, the most fundamental lie of Satan is at this very point, isn't it? That God is not good. He wants you to believe that with every fiber of your being. God is not good. We must immerse ourselves in what Scripture says about who God really is. We must have a, have a view of God which is big enough to fit who He is and who is really the one we trust in and have faith in for every breath we take. Romans chapter 4, verse 17, Paul says about God. He says, Even God who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. That's God. A God who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. That's God. In Job chapter 42, verse 2, we read this. I know that thou canst do all things, talking about God, and that no purpose of thine can be thwarted. Thou canst do all things. No purpose of thine can be thwarted by anyone or anything in all of eternity. That's God. And Jesus says in John 10, Verse 14, 
I am the good shepherd. And I know my own, and my own know me. That's God. I am the good shepherd. And I know my own, and my own know me. In Romans 8, 28, verse many of us know by heart, I'm sure, Paul says all things work together for what? Good. To those who love God and are called according to his purpose, that's us. All things work together in God's purposes and plans for us, he says, for good. Note, note one point I wanted to, to make here. God does not promise us that everything is going to be easy. God does not promise easy. He did not call us to a life of ease. A pain-free existence. Suffering-free existence. He did not call us to that. He does not promise that anywhere. In fact, he promises kind of the opposite of that, doesn't he? Something you just think about. I think about this a lot. As you sit there right now, at this point, at time and point in your life, some of you are older than others, think about your life for a moment and ask yourself, what in my life so far up to this moment has been the most meaningful and satisfying and fulfilling things that have happened in my life? And then ask yourself, were any of those things easy? And I can almost guarantee your answer. It's going to be no. Is a good marriage easy? No. Is a good friendship easy? No. Is studying and learning and growing in knowledge and wisdom, is that easy? No. Is working with people easy? No. God never promised easy. Promised good. And good is often not easy. We must make sure that the, the, the person we trust, put our life's trust in, is a biblical God or the struggle will be hopeless. Because faith is a struggle. There's a lot of things we don't know, a lot of things we don't understand. And we wrestle, and we wrestle with God. Jacob wrestled with the angel. We wrestle. What's going on? Make sure that you are in the right struggle. You can be in the wrong struggle. Waste a lot of time and energy. Don't struggle with things you can't change, for example. Like the past.
struggle with things that you can, by the grace of God, change. Things that you should, by the grace of God, change in your life. Struggle with God's truth in your life. Be honest with Him. Struggle of faith is a sign of life. The struggle of faith is a sign of real life going on in you. God's life in you. Think about the chick getting out of the egg, right? The chick has got to struggle to get out of the egg or, the, or it dies. Struggle is a sign of life and growth and change. And as we struggle with God and His truth and we trust Him, He changes us and the faith turns into rest. and peace. Remember, nothing can thwart God's purposes. And he says, in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 23 and 24, two verses that we often use as a benediction, but listen to these words in light of what we're talking about this morning. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, completely. And may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen to this. Faithful is he who calls you and he also will bring it to pass. Faithful is he who calls you, and he also will bring it to pass. Let's pray. Father, give us real faith in who you really are. Help us to trust you as the eternal creator God of the universe. Give us grace to do that. Give us faith, Father. Help our faith. Help our unbelief as we trust and walk with you every single moment, every breath of every day. Thank you for Christmas. Thank you that this almighty God became man for our sin. Thank you that he came out of that grave and he's alive today and that we have hope. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. Fill us with your spirit. Fill us with grace and truth, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.